Good afternoon. I've gotten so used to speaking online. I think I need to get used again to speaking on site. I hope I can last with my face mask on. Perhaps because I'm smaller in size, I need less oxygen. We are taking a journey through the book of Hosea over five Sundays, three Sundays in January and two Sundays in March. The Old Testament prophets were one of a kind, and Hosea was one of a kind even among the prophets. He had an unusual message. The overall theme of our series is God's unrelenting love for God's unrepentant people. I have chosen the unusual phrase, God's unrelenting love. Instead of saying God's unfailing love, that's what it is. God's love never fails. I have chosen the phrase it as God's unrelenting love because Hosea presents God's love that way. He had an unusual way of presenting truth that we are all familiar with so that we can look at God from a different angle and have a better idea who God is and know Him better. Everything about Hosea is unusual. I've been wondering, there are people named Ezekiel, parents have no problem naming their children, their sons Ezekiel. Ezekiel was also a strange prophet in the Old Testament. We will have Jonah, the most misunderstood prophet. But I'm not aware of anyone called Hosea. Have you? Why is the name Hosea avoided? I suppose those of us familiar with the story of Hosea already got the answer. But we still need to read the text. Let's turn to Hosea chapter 1. We will read the first three verses first. We will read a number of texts so that we are familiar with this book because this is a book that we don't normally read or study. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, or harlotry, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Goma, the son of Diblaim, and she be conceived and bore him a son. So God called Hosea to marry a woman who was a whore, a harlot. This is shocking and offensive. How could God call a prophet to marry such a woman? It is so shocking and offensive that many Bible scholars refuse to read the text that way. Look at the different translations. I read from the ESV, a woman of whoredom, usually translated woman of harlotry. And uh, the NIV translates a promiscuous woman. Yes, she was promiscuous. This is the downplay, the problem. But we must understand it in the context of the ancient world, especially ancient Israel. Today, women can be promiscuous for all kinds of reasons, not for money, not for personal gain. But not in the ancient world, ancient Israel. A woman would not be promiscuous like women today. It will always for personal gain. 
That is what Hallowed Tree is all about. The NLT translate using the common words. For the sake of children, I think I would not use the common words to describe Goma, the woman Hosea asked to marry, a harlot, a whore. Suddenly shocking, offensive. God did prescribe that a priest must always marry a virgin, not even a widow, because a priest comes before God, he must be ritually pure. There is no such requirement for the average Israelite. There is no evidence Hosea was a priest, but he was called to be a prophet, a preacher. Imagine, you know, a pastor marrying a whore. Wouldn't it be shocking, offensive? Of course, if he did it on his own, he would not be a pastor anymore. But what if God asked him to do that? Well, God is not likely to repeat that. That was unique to Hosea. What is the point? The point is, God intended it to be shocking and offensive. Why? Because what Hosea was about to do is reflect God's relationship with his people. The text says, the land was committing whoredom. The people of God, Israel, was doing that. But because it becomes so common, people take it for granted. And to catch the attention, to enable them to even listen what God has to say, God has to speak through a medium in a way that is shocking and offensive to just catch their attention. Whether they repent or not is a different story, and they didn't. But at least they heard the message so that they can be held accountable for what they have heard. You see, just to get them to hear the message, God had to do something shocking or offensive. That is the whole point. Then we may say, well, yes, God wants to get his message across, but wouldn't that be unfair to the prophet? It would be so shocking, offensive to him. God used him to get his message across. Well, we have to understand the nature of the prophetic ministry, which is prophetic preaching. If you look at the pattern across the board, the prophets are called to speak God's word in such a way that the people can hear the voice of the living God. Therefore, the prophet himself must experience the truth that he is proclaiming in a very real and intimate way. So Hosea had to understand how God felt about his people so that he can proclaim his word with the kind of conviction the only one who has experienced that truth can proclaim. You look at Jeremiah. Hosea was called to preach to the northern kingdom. You see, Israel, after Solomon died, was split into the northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea and Amos were called to speak to the northern kingdom. And Hosea was the last prophet to the northern kingdom before the northern kingdom went to exile under the Assyrians. His counterpart will be Jeremiah, the southern kingdom. Jeremiah was the last prophet in Jerusalem before the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, fell. God called Hosea to marry a harlot. God told Jeremiah not to marry 
Why? Because the exile was imminent. It was going to happen. The nation will be captured, conquered by the Babylonians. People were taking exile. And it's not a time to get married and have children. So God wanted Jeremiah to sense the urgency, the reality of the coming exile. And for the people to see the message. And not only that, God asked him to buy a piece of land from his cousin. You know, when your country is going to fall, you don't buy land. It's ridiculous. So why did God ask Jeremiah to buy the land? Because Jeremiah also preached, not exile, but the return from exile. God promised they will come back. And Jeremiah had to preach with conviction that exile will come back and to buy a piece of land. To buy the land makes sense only if and only if what God said will be true, that they will come back. So Jeremiah had to live that out, to experience that, so that he could preach with the deepest conviction. You're going to exile, but after 70 years, you will come back. So if you read the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, you see the pattern. God's prophets are called to experience the truth that they preach in such a way that when they preach, the people heard the voice of the living God because what they preach was so real to them. And Hosea, he was supposed to represent God how God loved the nation is how he is called to love his wife, a harlot. She was a harlot when he married him, gave him three children, and then she returned to her old way. And God asked her to go and buy her back. We will look into more details. Imagine the emotions he went through. And God said, how you feel is how I feel. So that when you proclaim the message, you proclaim from the deepest experience of how I feel. So that they can never miss the message. Whether they repent or not, that is not your problem. Your problem is to make sure they get the message. So this is Hosea. One of a kind, even among the prophets. So therefore he has truth put in very unusual ways for us. This afternoon we look at God's unrelenting love. Next Sunday we look at the knowledge of God. What does it mean to know God? And he presents the knowledge of God again in a very unusual way. And I believe after we have gone through this journey, we have a glimpse of who God is in a way that we probably have not seen before because this is very unique to the book of Hosea. Now, what then is the message that Hosea was to proclaim? So much so that he had to do something so shocking and offensive. Well, the message of the prophets are basically the same. The difference is how they present it. The message to the nation of Israel, Northern Kingdom, or the Southern Kingdom, Judah, is basically the same. The prophets came into action when the people violated the covenant, the Mosaic covenant between God and the nation, made at now Sinai. So, first part, when they violated the Mosaic Covenant, the prophets would come and condemn them and call them into repentance and warn them that if they do not repent, after many, many calamities, they will go into exile. 
second part. But because of the Abrahamic covenant God made through Abraham, they will return from exile. You see, God promised Abraham that his descendant, not all, not from Esau, not from Ishmael, but through Isaac, Jacob, all his descendants through Jacob will be God's people. God will be their God. I will be your God, you shall be my people. This is a very important formula throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament especially in the book of Revelation. God promised that that will never change. I will be God to them, they will be my people. That is the Abrahamic covenant. That is unchangeable. But for God's people, that particular generation of God's people, the Israelites, to truly experience that promise to be God's people and God to be the God, they must observe the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Covenant, because God is holy. Even though they became God's people by grace, they did not work for it. God promised Abraham, and therefore they became God's people. By grace, they have to be holy because God is holy. Same thing, Christians, the church. We become God's people by grace. But because God is holy, God's people must be holy. So to be holy, they have to observe the Ten Commandments and all the laws. If they fail to observe that and refuse to repent, ultimately they will be exiled. But the future generation can come back because God's promise to Abraham never failed. So what happened is, the exile was God's means of discipline to bring them to repentance. Because unless they repent, they cannot be blessed. They cannot continue to be God's people. So look at exile as a means of discipline. Painful one for the nation. Now that is the basic message of all the prophets. This message keeps repeated over and over again, even in the same prophet. But every time it's repeated, it is afresh because it is repeated with different emphasis from a different angle. And especially when poetry is used, it is always refreshing. So it's never boring. And what more, it is repeated through Hosea, through a very unusual, shocking experience that he married a harlot. So we will see how Hosea presents this very basic message in a very unusual way so that we catch a better glimpse of who God is. Let's read Hosea chapter 1, verse 4 to chapter 2, verse 1. Reading from the ESV. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, the first son. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name, No Mercy, Lord Ruhamah. For I will no, longer, no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will save them by bow. Not, not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had been no mercy, the, second, the daughter, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, Lord Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be together 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 and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel say to your brothers you are my people and your sisters 
you have received mercy. Now, this basically sums up the whole message of Hosea and the whole message of the prophets. But the message is expressed through the children. The first one, Jezreel, has three aspects. The first aspect concerns the house of Jehu. You see, Jehu was the one who exterminated the house of Ahab for Ahab's wickedness and idolatry. But he continued in some form of idolatry. So God also exterminated his dynasty. And ultimately, Israel as a nation will be exiled. That is in the name Jezreel. And this is elaborated. No mercy. That means God will have no mercy on the nation, will allow the Assyrians to come to capture them. They will suffer. They will go to exile. And not my people. That means God is going to break the Mosaic covenant. The covenant between Israel and the nation. Now with respect to the northern kingdom, not yet the southern kingdom, not my people. But yet, look at the reversal. Suddenly, there's a, suddenly the reverse. God said, not my people. Then, they will be my people. No mercy. They will have mercy. So if you understood my summary concerning the Mosaic covenant and the Abraham covenant, then you understand what this is all about. It's basically that message. But couch in terms of the children. Now, what is so special about Hosea's message or his take on the message through his marriage to Goma? Generally speaking, it's about God and his people. You shall be my people, I shall be your God. But Hosea, through his marriage to Goma, present the Mosaic Covenant in terms of a marriage covenant. Jeremiah did say, when God promised a new covenant to him, that God said, I will make a new covenant with them, not the one they have broken, the Mosaic Covenant, though I have been a husband to them. That's all. Jeremiah went as far as that. But Hosea elaborated on this idea of God as husband, Israel as wife, idolatrous wife, wife of harlotry. And because the Mosaic covenant is couched as a marriage covenant, it enabled Hosea to present God's love in an unusual way. Instead of unfailing love, it has become unrelenting love. I chose the term unrelenting, relentless, because the word relent, unrelenting, relentless, is often used in a context with negative connotation. No, his criticism is unrelenting. The heat is relentless when aircon is down. The pressure we face is unrelenting, usually used in a negative context, involving something that is negative, something that we don't like, that is relentless, unrelenting. It needn't always be that, but usually it has that connotation. So when I use the word relentless, unrelenting to God's love, it gives us a certain idea about God's love we don't normally think about. Relenting means not reducing in intensity. You see, Hosea presents God's love, God's discipline out of love as relentless. If you read, especially Ezekiel, how God allowed the nation to be disciplined, to suffer, to go into exile. God was relentless to do what was necessary for them to repent. You see, God did not send them into exile right away. 
God will send them calamities, will increase in intensity. If they refuse to repent, then the ultimate result is exile. And God is relentless in that discipline, no matter what it takes. Including allowing many of them to die when they were captured and going to exile. God's discipline can be relentless. Even as parents, we discipline our children. Sometimes we, 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 we stop. We then go as far as, as necessary. God is relentless. He will go as far as it is necessary. That is the nature of our God. And this is important for us to understand the gospel. You see, God's love is unrelenting means He will do whatever necessary, no matter how shocking, no matter how painful. He will do what is needed to accomplish His purpose. For our salvation, what was it? What was necessary? The death of his own son, Jesus Christ. His love is so unrelenting. He will never stop at anything until the object of his love is blessed. He will do what is necessary. It was necessary for the nation of Israel to go into exile so that they will repent and return and start all over again. Because of God's promise to Abraham, they will experience the new covenant, which we are now experiencing. And how can the new covenant become a reality, become effective? The death of his son, Jesus Christ. So Hosea presents to us a picture of God's love, of the gospel, in terms of God's unrelenting love. That enables us to, 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 to Think about the mull over God's love from a new angle. He will do whatever that is necessary. He's so unrelenting. That shows how committed he is to love. Because of his covenant with Abraham and with Moses, through Moses. Now remember, the covenant with Abraham concerns all the families of the world. God's purpose through the covenant, is eventually all the families of the earth will be blessed. God chose one nation as the means. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So remember, the Abraham covenant is ultimately for the sake of the whole world, for you and I. And God is relentless in accomplishing that promise. So God's unrelenting love. Now, this is only possible, this presentation only possible through his marriage to a harlot to show how unrelenting that love is. Now, We read about him marrying Goma. Before we look at into detail, chapter 2, let's look at chapter 3. To complete the picture. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and uh, homer and uh, half a homer that is of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the horse or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod the household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Now this part of the story is about the restoration 
how Gomer was restored, and Hosea had to pay a sum of money to buy her back, to redeem her. So in between, in chapter 2, is the adultery of the wife, but in chapter 2, the focus is what it means, the idolatry, the harlotry of the nation of Israel. So, because of his unique circumstances, he could present a message that only in his context he could present. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 21. Plead with... Is, is it chapter 21? Chapter 2, verse... Verse 2, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore, for she said, I will go after my lovers, and who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hatch up way, hatch up, hurt her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot find her path. She shall pursue her lovers, but not return to, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. Is about how God forcibly separate his wife, adulterous wife, worship idols from her idols, send her exile. Then she will repent. That's what he says here. Now, we must understand why the Israelites worship idols, the foreign gods. We are familiar with that. We heard that many times. The reason is spelled out here. You see, said the mother say, because these lovers provide for me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. You see, they pursue the idols in the context of Israel, the bales, because they believe it is a bale that will ensure economic security and prosperity. In the, in, the, in the world of the Canaanites, that is what they believe. That is what their world believe. If you want economic security and prosperity, you must worship the Baals because the Baal control the rain, control fertility. So if you want economic security and prosperity, you must worship the Baals. It's spelled out here. Why they pursue after the foreign gods, the lovers. You see, they worship idols for the sake of economic gain. That's why Israel is considered a halot. That is what halotry is all about, whoredom is all about. It's about economic gain. But what is interesting here is this. Hosea, because of his situation, marrying a whore and have children, he is able to divide the mother and the children. And this gives us new insight about our relationship with God. The mother represents the nation of Israel. The children represent the Israelites. And God is saying to the children, this translation says, plead with your mother. But if you have other translations, the most common is NIV, NSB say, rebuild your mother. Or the older version of NSB says, contend with your mother. I think contend is the best. Contend, as in Jews say, contend for the faith once and for all given to the saints. Contend. In other words, because of his unique circumstances, he could talk about nation of Israel, the mother and the children, the Israelites. 
It's calling the Israelites to contend with, repudiate your mother. And this is important for our application. To, to appreciate what is happening here, think of Malaysia. The mother will be Malaysia as a nation and the leaders. And it's generally recognized that Malaysia, the nation as a whole, in terms of how the country is run, even the politicians themselves agree, is corrupt, is unjust. And Malaysians are contending in one way or another, whether through Bursay or through the voting system or whatever, contend. And that is what God called Israel to do. The nation as a whole, represented by the leadership, how the country is run. The status quo is corrupt, is unjust. Worship idols. And the Israelites are called to contend against that. And obviously, they did not. That's why they went into exile. Now, there is a very important application for us as a church because in terms of Christianity, I differentiate Christianity from the Christian faith. The Christian faith is what is presented in the Bible and we are cont to contend for the faith once and for all given to the saints. Christianity is how the faith is practiced in a certain location at a certain time. Think of Christianity during the time of Martin Luther. That was the mother. Christianity, the institution called the church, Christianity, at the time of Martin Luther, that was the mother. It was unjust, it was corrupt. And Martin Luther rose up to contend against the mother, individual Christian. And because of that, many other Christians, the reformers came out, the children contend, repudiate. Now that is a church because the church is under the new covenant with the Holy Spirit. Under the old covenant, the people did not contend. What we can learn from this is this. We have to differentiate the mother and the children, even in terms of Christianity. Martin Luther, the reformers, did something to reclaim the gospel, repudiate the mother. And now, what is the state of Christianity, the mother? If we are aware, we will realize we perhaps need another reformation. We need Christians to realize that their faithfulness is to God and not the Christianity that we grow up with. Is it consistent with the teaching of the Word of God? Uh, we will not dwell on this, but this is an important point, you know, an insight that is unique to the book of Hosea that I thought I should bring up for us to be thinking about how individual Christians, the children, need to recognize whether the form of Christianity that we live in and under is consistent with the teaching of the Word of God. And you, Christian, need to realize that that was what God called the Israelites during that time to do, to contend with the mother. Now we want to look at specifically why the mother was so persistent in pursuing the idols, play the harlot to worship false god, not faithful to the husband, the god of the covenant. Look at chapter 2 verse 8. For she does not know that it was I who gave her the oil and lavished her 
on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. Therefore, I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season. I will take, also take away my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. In other words, I will let them suffer. Now, we saw just now, they pursue the idols, they believe the idols give them economic security and prosperity. And now we all know, if we believe something is the source of our economic security and prosperity, we won't let go. If we believe that is what we need to be economically secure and prosperous, we won't let go. You and I know that. The question is, what we believe in is the source of our economic security, prosperity. Is that correct? Is that true? Why did they pursue after the Baals, the false gods, who could not really give them prosperity? Because God allowed them to suffer, to prove them wrong. God said, the reason is, they do not know. She does not know, or rather does not acknowledge that it is I who have been providing all these things. It is I who provide all these things. I am their source of economic security and prosperity. They taught the bells. Therefore, they pursue the bells. Relentlessly pursue. And God is relentlessly pursuing them by punishing them so that they will realize that the bells are false God. They will come back to the Creator God. Now, this is a very, very important spiritual discipline for us. What is the root cause of people worshipping, trusting in anything other than God? Whether in the Old Testament or today, as I mentioned, if we believe this is the source of our economic security and prosperity, we won't let go. If we believe God is our source of economic security and prosperity, we will let go. But do we really believe God is the source of our economic security and prosperity and not whatever the people of the world trust in for the economic security and prosperity? Now, how do we know? There's a very important test here. God said they do not acknowledge I am the one who provides all these things. And it is wonderful that in a Christian tradition, following the example of Jesus, we say grace before our meals, right? Normally, we thank God. We say grace. And we often teach our children from young to say grace, to thank God for the food He has provided. This was the practice of Jesus. In the Gospel, we see Him thanking God. And also, we saw Paul in Acts 27. He also thanked God before he ate. The question is, when we thank God for the food, how deeply convinced are we that indeed it is God who provided this food? In the ancient world, it's easier because Remember, Jesus taught the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. They had to pray for daily bread because they're never secure. Every day, they earn daily wages. But in our modern world, we not only earn monthly wages, we do have surpluses in our bank account. So it is rather difficult for us when we bow down to pray and thank God for the food from the bottom of our hearts. It is difficult. And that is the root problem of their idolatry, of their worshipping, the bells, trusting in the things in this world for economic security and prosperity because they are not able to thank God from the bottom of their heart for what they eat. Now, wonderfully, I say the word wonderfully carefully. The pandemic. The pandemic demonstrates many things. 
And one thing it demonstrates is this. We cannot trust in anything in this world to ensure that we have our food. During this pandemic, some people are affected more financially than others. Those who are more adversely affected understand better. Science, technology, the government cannot be the source. Our career, our profession, our skills cannot be the source of trust for economic security and prosperity. A small virus can cause havoc. There were many people before the pandemic never imagined one day they have to worry about whether there's food on the table for his family. And now they experience it. Perhaps the very first time of their life. And who says that this pandemic will be the last? And those of us who are not affected, we still have regular income and no problem. Also, we need to wake up. Who knows? Another form of pandemic, another form of crisis, they may even cut off food supply. This time, well, people can still buy things. It's the problem money, not supply. But who knows? And I pray nothing like that will happen, but it causes us to think. This pandemic causes us to think that we cannot take for granted our food supply. No matter how much money we have in the bank, no matter how capable we are, how many companies want to employ us, how often we are headhunted, we cannot have the sense of security that we will always have food on the table. It is by the grace of God. In any case, even atheists will have to recognize that it is God who provides. You know why? With all the advancement in science and technology, can they produce food in the lab? I'm not aware of any science fiction that presents the possibility of producing you know, chicken meat, vegetable fruits in the lab. They will always have to start with what God has created, the seed. They may modify genetically the seed to make it more resistant, whatever. They have to start with what God has created. No science, no technology can create food. It comes from God. Therefore, as we go through another year of uncertainty, as we begin this year, as we remember what Jose is saying, they worship idols. Now, idols need not be physical. Idols can be anything we trust in for our economic security and prosperity other than God himself. It all begins with the inability to thank God from the bottom of our heart that what we eat, what we drink comes from God. Therefore, how deeply we thank God when we pray for our food is a spiritual indicator of how closely we are related to God. You see, I told you, Hosea has some very unusual things to say. So let's begin this new year in the midst of this uncertainty and recognize every grain of rice that we eat comes from God. When we bow our heads to pray, we cannot truly thank God from the bottom of our heart. God, you provided this. It's time for us to pause and remember what we heard this afternoon. Where was the root cause of their idolatry? They did not acknowledge God was the provider. That means they did not know God. Therefore, later on, when God said, they are redeemed. They would 
know God. Chapter 2, verse 10. God said, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you in, to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Next Sunday, we will look in more detail what it means to know God according to Hosea. Hosea 4 to 6 has some unusual things to say about what it means to know God, which we may or may not have thought of. I myself have not thought of until I study these few chapters thoroughly. What does it mean to know God? God say they will know me when they are ultimately redeemed under the new covenant. We are under the new covenant. We should know God. This promise has been made. What does it mean to know God? If we know God, according to Hosea, we will know that the food, the drink that we have every day comes from God. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word through the prophet Hosea speaking to us in shocking, even offensive ways, in ways we are not used to, opening our eyes to see truth that we have not seen from this anger so that we will have a deeper understanding of who you are and reach your experience as your child. So Lord, we pray as we think of your unrelenting love that you will do whatever necessary that we might be blessed to the very point, the most shocking and offensive thing that your son, eternal God, born a baby, died on the cross for our sins. You would go that far. You are so relentless in your love to ensure that we are blessed. So Lord, open our hearts and lighten our mind to see you to catch a glimpse of who you are and that this year will begin to deeply recognize whatever we have the needs that we have even the food that we eat every day is your blessing it comes from you you created this thing to begin with and you made it so that we can enjoy the multiple fruits the nuts the wretch and all the different kinds of food that we enjoy because you created them so that we might enjoy them. Thank you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>